Don't forget to thank the household gods. Welcome to the Hoovine Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. I am Colin. And I'm Jace. And tonight we're going to revisit the story, Fires of Bombay, kind of moving on from season three into season four. Yes, and here we see uh, Donna's first trip into the past. Yes, Donna's first trip into the past, and she sees a whole lot of future <laughs> without even knowing it. Um, of course, we have two huge guest stars in this particular episode. Really? Who? Well, for one, the first one we see is, of course, the soothsayer known as Karen Gillan. hey Comes in as uh, Amy Pond later on in the, the 11th Doctor era. And let me guess, the other one is Sylvester McCoy. No, Jace, who's the other one? It's Peter Capaldi! Yeah, the G-Man himself. Peter His Cap- first appearance in Doctor Who. Is exactly. And uh, to think that he might have thought that he was never going to be the Doctor since he was already in Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, at least one other actor was able to go on to be the Doctor after being in Doctor Who. And that was Colin Baker, because he was in a fifth Doctor story, Arc of Infinity. Since we're revisiting this, I feel like it's it's comfortable to go through the spoilers on episodes we've already done, right? Sure. To some to some dimension of a degree, but I like how we when we see Peter Capaldi come back, he relates to his face in this episode. Oh um, yeah, I remember that because I've never seen this episode before. Like really being like really into Peter Capaldi, and he's like, I know why I have this face, and then I saw that flashback. I didn't get the reference, but Donna's acting towards the end of that when she was just like, just say one person, just one. It gives him a reminder to break the Time Lord code here and there, you know, skirt Which some rules, find some people. Doing. Yeah, but it also makes me think, you know, how much of it is really a hard rule, you know, the whole time? Seems like a lot of this is loosey-goosey. Yeah, although we at least get, you know, I mean, it's not a great explanation, but it at least seems to be a fairly consistent explanation that, you know, the Doctor can see you know, what points are fixed and which ones are not fixed and, you know, what can change, what can't change. I find it interesting that he can apparently see these fixed points in time but can't realize that he's the one who fixes them by being there. Well, and I think that's kind of true throughout most of this, the history of the show is that he he doesn't necessarily know that he's going to be involved, but he knows he knows that if, he's not, if he doesn't get involved the, and things aren't right then he's got to make them right. Yeah. And that's that's the justice part of the Doctor coming through. It's an interesting perspective to see, you know, to potentially see the world through a Time Lord's eyes. But also, it seems like that rule, you know, at least what he claimed, he, he went right against it, you know, in, a, in the following scene. Yeah, and I know he does that, but it just it doesn't make sense to me. Like, hey, I know these things should happen, and I know what things can be, like, manipulated, but also I'm just going to save these lives, even though I'm not supposed to save 
any, but typically don't they backfire when he does something like pretty extreme? Well, they do, but I think it might depend on the circumstance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very much so. Like, because, okay, so going back a little bit to, to season one, when the doctor takes Rose um, to see her father die, um, basically, uh, you know, that, you know, you can't change that point because you went back in time to that point because of what happened at that point in time. So if that hadn't happened, then you wouldn't have gone back to that point in time. And so I can see why that would be a much bigger problem being a very closed-loop paradox yes. than having, you know, some other situations. Now, for this one, it's possible that in some situations it's important to the historical event that every person there dies. But maybe it, this was a situation where it's only important that this event occurred. No one really kept track of who actually lived and died. Maybe some people did turn and run to the hills and make it, you know? So maybe this was, like, actually one of those things where eh, it's not going to impact history that much. Probably makes it easier when things weren't, you know, as well recorded. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can try and be generous to them, and I think that's what you need to do as a viewer. But I feel like that, that same rule and schema that you laid out, we see later on gets broken. Oh, yeah, for know, sure. time and time again. Um, so it, it always just, like, I, I feel a little cheated when they use that reference, because I feel like they don't stick to it, uh, you know, in terms of the writing of Doctor Who. Although, to be fair, actually in this one, it did turn out that the Doctor did have to make a decision on it, and really was given the opportunity to actually change things. Right, so you could say it was not a fixed point in time then. But well, it was a fixed... I, I think you were dead on when you said that he was the one who fixed that point in time. Yeah. Because so I think that because like a time lord came and interfered, you know, that, you know, can fix points in time or so something. We have legitimate, like, soothsaying here. We have legitimate future sites, and they don't see the future that's going to happen. Because, because that future wasn't gonna, like wasn't meant to happen or whatever and plus but it certainly was i mean donna and the doctor had knowledge of it it certainly well, but, but, seems like and it happened but so. they also were getting their visions from the pyrovile you yeah know. but it was because of the explosion it was explained oh, right, by you yeah. know that it was really a some sort of a crack in time because of the energy that was giving them the powers which seems a little bit strange in and of itself. I mean, it we, we, we've you know, learned at other points that, you know, it would take a TARDIS explosion to crack time or, mm -hmm. you know, some other massively powerful event that seems to really go way beyond the power of a volcano. Yeah. Well, maybe I, there's more of a history to these little dudes. I don't know. There may be more history to the concept that because time was fixed at this point and at the, at the current status without the doctor there history was on a course for being going in the wrong direction so maybe something with that had something to do with the time leaking out in some way or another too because if you think about it if the doctor didn't show up Pompeii wouldn't have happened at all the events of Pompeii would not have happened. The world just would have ended. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but feasibly. Which I think is weird, too, just because he also came back with, like, this fixed-point mindset. And then at one point, I was like, whoa, whoa, aliens are involved? Good thing I st stayed here. But, it's like, aliens are not. It's a fixed point in time, right? What, what does an alien influence change? 
fixed points with. Fixed points happen all across the universe. Well, I think that is because that, that brings up the potential that they may be time-traveling aliens, because I think that there's different rules when time-travelers get involved in things, because they're going back to change stuff. But, to your point, there was no indication that these guys had anything to do with time-travel. Yeah, they were just actually leaving their own world, which is had gone missing. Is that familiar? I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. But that's the same thing that happened with the adipose in the previous episode, too, is that the the adipose... Or no, that didn't happen to the adipose, did it? I thought the adipose had lost yeah, their... Yeah, uh, the, I think they lost one of their, their nesting worlds or something. That's what I thought. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a theme in this, in this season. Yeah, also, um, you know... To point out the beginning of another theme in this season, we've got um, one of the soothsayers turns to Donna and says, there's something on your back. And she looks around and it doesn't appear to be anything. Oh yeah, I was wondering about that, but I easily forgot about that. She also turns to the doctor and says, she will be back. Which doesn't really make any sense, because that's... What does that... Who? Donna? I mean, I took that as kind of like some sort of metaphorical thing. Like, it seems like, you know, back in Pompeii, they're all about playing these, you know, fancy word games. Some <laughs> <laughs> analogies. I thought it was foreshadowing. It could be. It's like, there's something on your back, like something is coming, or, you know, the wind is at your back, you know, who knows. But I, I just let that go. I gotta say, it was shocking, though, in the moment where they, they come in and everything seems to be like a normal doctor and companion checking out the past. Ooh, this is how the TARDIS translation TARDIS. matrix works, all that stuff. And then, yeah, and they suddenly break in with the, oh, yeah, you're the doctor and you're from outer space. Oh, I could do you one better. He's from Gallifrey. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, think it's hilarious that this is like the first episode I've ever seen of the Doctor using a gun and it was a water gun. <laughs> <laughs> and just imagine seeing this giant like demon rock creature and he's over here just like squirt, squirt, squirt. Right. And what? that somehow defeats it. Well, no, but it makes sense because they... Uh, you know, it makes sense, but like it's just kind of hilarious. Does it? Like, we've always heard rocks. we've always heard the Doctor does not like guns. That's been consistent all throughout we know the Doctor. He could have spat then, on him. then he starts liking a particular kind of gun? Where does this come from? <laughs> That's a good point. It could have been a jelly bean gun. Well, know? he knows that it won't destroy anyone. It won't kill the, the Paravel. It won't guns, kill the people. The well, if they were fixed events, he's probably going to kill the people. Well, he that part he has to do, but that's when he realizes sure, that he's sure. the only one that can make sure that the and, events happen. And then Donna, upon recognizing him after berating him the entire episode about this, you know, realizes that, yes, this is really the only choice we can make and, and helps him do it, which was, you know, a pretty you know, big step in their friendship. I thought that was amazing because it was like an episode, because Donna just became involved and she was just put in a situation where she had to learn the hard way. Sometimes the only decisions you have are the bad ones. And she learned like, it's just funny how you went from the basics. This is how the TARDIS works. They're like, okay, let's kill 20,000 people. And this is the best thing that we can do. And then she still managed to find a little more silver lining in it. And, and the doctor and convinced the doctor to, you know, save somebody. And, you know, wow, what a whole powerful sequence all through there. Donna's acting inside of the TARDIS was amazing. She was just like... Catherine Tate and David Tennant both had some amazing, amazing... It was absolutely great, and the thing is, like... Great chemistry. They yeah. had great chemistry. Like, I didn't think that Donna, just looking at them, 
and would make a good companion to the doctor, but I see why they work very well together. Well, yeah, and even at the beginning, before any of the emotional stuff, like, she was giving him a hard time being yeah. like, oh, you say that I can't do this just because you're a time lord, whatever that means? I mean, screw you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to I'm gonna try to get people to survive this. And that's you know? cute, yeah. And she was right. I mean, I, I think that almost, like, makes it, like, the horror of the doctor here. It's like, how many other lives could he have saved? You know, how much of a little human speech is he far away from saving potentially thousands of lives. To save one. Well, I think that, you know, an important point regarding that was kind of uh, implied when the doctor was talking about, you know, I can't go back and save my people, so, you know, I can't, you know, I have to hold myself true to that rule for everyone else, and it's become maybe more important to him, and that's why, you know, we're seeing him bring it up a lot more since, you know, the time war happened, and, you know, he he is kind of in a bit of a thunk throughout, you know, knew who up through this point and, and onward about you know, the time war and all the horrible things that happened and his people being gone. And, you know, maybe that's why he, you know, is having trouble getting back into saving people. And honestly, that's what I think makes, even though I haven't seen a lot of Donna, I think that's what makes um, Donna very important to David Tennant because Doctor's like, well, all of my people died and I can't change that. And all of these people are going to die and I can't change that. But Donna just kind of does that one spark to be like, dude, just do something. You know, yeah, that was just so monumental to me because doctor, the doctor did seem super cold. And bring it back to Colin's point: how other, how many other times could he have just done this one thing, just one thing, and yeah. chose not to? Going back to your point about this being the second, basically the second episode of Donna's season, it's paralleled in an in an episode that comes in the future with Amy Pond, because Amy Pond's thrown into a situation where she's got to make a huge decision with the space whale in the very second episode as well. And uh, we've already done that episode, so you can listen to that podcast later. Beast but, Below. <laughs> yes, the Beast Below. But um, I, I just wanted to say that I think this second episode for Companions, where they have to make decisions or where they have to kind of step up to the plate, really shows which Companions are going to do well and which Companions might not be the best of Companions. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool, though. It's kind of like when I go on a first date, I kind of just, like, give them all sides of me and just decide if, you know, they're, they can move forward. It's kind of what the doctor was. Like, you've seen me at my worst. Now let's, like, chill. Now that you survived that. Well, yeah, that's true. Because, like, the first episode with the companion, and actually with Donna, really there ended up being two of them because they had the Christmas yeah. special, too, That where it's sort of like... The companion's around and is involved in something going on in Earth, and the doctor swoops in and, and, you know, fixes things. And, you know, the second episode is more like, is like the first time they actually go out intending to have an adventure together. And, you know, it always is kind of interesting. I mean, the doctor will either, you know, he tends to do future and past or past and future and kind of tests them out. One thing to note, though, with Donna's first episode of this season is that she's kind of learned from the Doctor, and she's the one investigating this the happenings where the adipose are being harvested, well, yeah. basically. 
And so that's that's kind of cool that they kind of come together because they're both investigating. And that's kind of a on the same level as Sarah Jane Smith. I was just about to bring up Sarah uh, Jane Smith. Because Sarah, of course, was a journalist. So she came to the doctor because of trying to get a story or trying to do investigations. So. And then again, when she shows up in New Who for that yep. uh, episode, the doctor and she are both, you know, independently investigating the same thing. Exactly. So it just, it, it, there's this common theme here. And I think Donna, it, Donna, I think her weakest moment is, of course, her very first story. But because of her interaction with the doctor, she becomes better, at least up until the point where she meets the doctor again. And then she's got this crazy, incredible adventure with the doctor in the in history that really kind of and shows I would argue her. That. She's continuing to become better. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, because she realizes what the doctor must face and what the decisions he must go through. And it's kind of nice having just a purely platonic relationship between the doctor and a companion after the last two. I mean, not that they weren't interesting, but you know, were you gonna stay there? I saw. I don't know. I saw some eye glances. Well, they they had the. I mean, like you know when. Uh, Whatever, Peter Capaldi's character was like, oh, you're married? And they were like, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, wouldn't you do that to any, with anyone that you weren't married to, more or less? Well, yeah, but I think there's a little, you know, they're a little fine. more emphatic about it. <laughs> Plus, they we, were, we also they were very to... agreeable to brother and sister terms. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't overdo it. They didn't. They just had that one moment where they're like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. And then, hey, wait a minute, you look like brother and sister. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> well, plus they established it in the previous episode where, um, you know, the doctor says, I just want a mate. And Donna's <laughs> like, you want a mate with me? <laughs> yeah. That is not happening. Nope. That could also be why I like Bill so much. Like, don't mind. I don't mind there being like a little bit of like, eh, between the doctor and the companion, but I don't want that to be the whole story. I want the adventure. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can get that anywhere else. Right? And, you know, you can even have it on the side in Doctor Who. It doesn't need to be in the main plot arc. Well, like yeah. Amy Amy and you Rory. You taste of it again and again. Yeah, you can have an Amy and Rory situation. You could have... You could go into the middle of literal Romeo and Juliet or something. You know? <laughs> Possibilities well, are endless. Well, they did Spice meet Robin Hood, so I guess they could meet... Romeo and Juliet. I mean, that would be easy. The doctor would be like, Montagues, Capulets, let's all sit down together and have a conversation. <laughs> Problem solved, oh guys. Goodness, these were real people <laughs> that inspired Shakespeare. Oh, we have learned something about history. Just like we learned in this episode that Pompeii was really just like the center of these like alien rock people, and they were trying to take over the world, and How'd- that's what... How did you all, or what did you all think of the Paravelle? I thought I thought they were kind of cool. I, I thought you know badass flaming rock golems, you know that looked very armor esque. They were a fun monster of the week, and I, I liked that you know people literally inhaled them and started to become them. I kind of wish I saw like more of them because they looked like kind of badass, and all we saw was like pretty much that one chick just talking. And they were talking, working through them, but I kind of want to see what was up with like these rock lava humans. Well, not humans, but aliens. Although, it, bring up that, I, I will say, you know, they did look pretty badass. But when you can get like not even a super ship or a water pistol to do that know. much damage, <laughs> and a, a little bucket of water to kill a whole thing, I don't think. Know. No, I don't think it killed it. I think it just took that one. Well, it, I guess seemed they to take it, it out. Honestly, it t- just like a, it immobilized it. It incapacitated. Yeah. Took it. out the heat. It's not a thing. Fire truck. Yeah, just need a fire truck. And that's, that's how you fix that situation. 
I think the I think the with the water pistol thing was just more like an irritation. He was just like, ah, no, stop. It was yeah, more it like a distraction. Seemed, it seemed more significant than your run-of-the-mill distraction. <laughs> Much more significant. Now, I think another significant factor we haven't even touched on in here is is the power of, you know, faith in the gods that this group of people has. That's surprising. You know, well, it's not. And it, and it fits really well of, you know, okay, yeah, the, you know, the Romans were superstitious people and they believed in multiple gods and they, you know, attributed natural, natural phenomenon to it. And it was just, you know, interesting how much power different people had in the society for, you know, being, you know, supposedly connected to these gods. And then, you know, these crazy lava monsters jump out of the ground roaring and lashing out at people while they're, everyone around you screaming, run, oh my god. And, you know, one of the guys thinks it's totally reasonable to be like, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Right. Uh, <laughs> I thought, very I it was realistic. Like a, yeah, I thought it was a funny flip, too, to see how it was very much opposite sides of today, where they're like, oh, yes, he's out there consorting with Christians. This Christianity thing. How crazy. <laughs> um, you know, and, and by today's you know standards, you'd be like, oh, Christianity, the, the normal mainstream. Zeus beside him? Laughable. Well, at any rate, um, how shall we rate this story? All right, ratings. I guess I'll take this one. A lot was said about this episode. A lot by me that I think was critical, and I think I used this as, you know, uh, to take apart a little bit some of the timey-wiminess of fixed points in the Doctor that I have problems with. But there was a lot of good stuff here. It was a good, fun story. I love the Monster of the Week. Um, Peter Capaldi's acting was brilliant. I'm biased. I love the guy. Uh, we saw, you know, uh, a forward to Amy Pond in here. Um, and it, it was meaningful, too. We saw really good acting all around, great character development between Donna and the Doctor. And my goodness, this episode just gets you excited about the Doctor and Donna and their dynamic moving forward. Um, good episode all around, honestly. I think there are some flaws. I can pick at it. Um, as always, but this one for me, seven and a half out of ten. Interesting. I mean, not interesting. Cool, Colin. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that was so not interesting. I uh, let, let me. I tried, guys. I tried. <laughs> you did a good job with your giraffe shirt. Anywho, um, I thought this episode was pretty hot and spicy. Sorry I said that, but we can't go back now. Um, I loved Peter Capaldi's acting, and just like Colin, I'm also biased. I thought the little hint of, like, having, like, Karen, whatever her last name was, was interesting. Wasn't expecting it. She didn't really do much, but, like, exist as, like, a mysterious face. But I was kind of into it. Might, you know, do that look one day. Anyways, I think I said most of what I needed to say. I liked it. I thought it revealed a lot of the doctors and Donna's um, mindsets and how the how Donna is a great companion to the doctor and kind of brings out the best in him. And I hope I see that from Donna moving forward, kind of bringing a more air quote humanity kind of feel to the doctor, reminding him, listen, things can happen. Anyways, I'll shut up. I think I'm actually probably going to give this an 8.5 out of 10. All right. Um, I thought this episode was excellent. I thought that character development in it was stellar. It's, you know, 
clear that David Tennant and Catherine Tate, who play the Doctor and Donna here, um, have great chemistry on screen, and they, um, I believe they actually get along really great off, off screen as well. And, um, you know, and, and just the, you know, the characters fitting together and just clearly making each other better people already is is very great and exciting. I thought that all of, really all the acting in this was great. I thought that the storyline was exciting and interesting and, yes, got me excited for other things. I thought, you know, there were some things that weren't perfect, but I am going to give this one a 9. Hmm, nice. Well, I've already rated this in a previous episode, but if I had to go ahead and rate it again... You do. No, I know. You must. <laughs> <laughs> he must make a difficult choice. Um, I, I, I still think that the music that Murray Gold does outshines just about any other musician that's worked in Doctor Who, and that's just my personal opinion. Murray always laying down them tracks. I know, but I mean, in this particular story, it's quite epic, especially the scene where the Doctor comes back for the family, and he's reaching out his hand from the TARDIS, and the music swells. That kind of, that feel-good moment, I think, is what defines this particular episode. Um, it feels good to be in this episode watching Donna and the Doctor. A classic episode, in my opinion. I would rate this probably a 9 out of 10. It's... The graphics are a little bit... Um, dated? Dated. Well, yeah, it's not new. I know. But for the time that it came out, I think it looked pretty good. And yeah. so I just, I think that's what brought it down one notch for me. But I mean, are we I all supposed to love going back in time? Isn't that. <laughs> well, if you really want to go back to some dodgy special effects, you can see William Hartnell's era, especially <gasps> the web planet where the Zarbi, the ant like. The Barbie? I'm kidding. <laughs> I kind of want to give this an 8.75, but like I'll, I'll keep it at an 8.5 because I thought it was really awesome. I mean, you guys are pushing me. Like, I feel like I need to give it a solid 8 now. I feel like I was being unfair, but. I'll let this the audience is, decide. I mean, the way I rate things typically is... How you feel? It's all... Like, now I'm starting to gauge, like, what Doctor Who episodes are, like, really good. And so I have, like, a standard. And for me, this episode was engaging every single second that I saw it. I saw two characters from, like, later on who that I absolutely loved. The Doctor was faced with, like, a really difficult situation in which... Donna was just like, just save somebody. And the doctor's like, no, screw you. It was just really good all the way around. It kept the engaged. It was entertaining. There's a lot of character development. I thought it was really, really good. Um, so it's definitely one of the ones that are really up there for me. And I definitely rewatched this many times. I'd probably show this to other people who want to get into Doctor Who. And that's coming from someone who isn't a huge, huge diehard fan for David Tennant either. I love this season. Season four is so good. Well, maybe I will be. Let's find out. Stay tuned and find out if Jay starts to warm up to David Tennant significantly. Yeah, stay tuned. Go through another season. Hear what we have to say about it. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Tell us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Talk to you guys later. Have a good night, y'all. Adios. Peace.